0: hey everybody sorry to disappoint you it's mike and tim and not seth i mean the number the number of emails we're getting now requesting demanding threatening um if they don't get a uh, if we don't like give the people a seth intro uh it's 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 a large amount i mean and it's increasing and so there is definite fan club that is developing Maybe we need to start something called the uh, Seth cast. Um, yeah, I think we've
1: teased that before. And Seth, I don't know, though, because
0: Seth's ego is getting kind of big. I've seen him walking
1: around,
0: <laughs> his chest all puffed out. <laughs> totally, totally. And he's at school today, which I, I have to be honest, is great for my focus, um, <laughs> but not great for the audience. So we're sorry. Um, we did release something along the lines of a, of a Seth cast, in the Wanderer. We, we released the first episode of The Wanderer. Tim, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we started our, our well, we started a little
1: mini-series on talking about U2 and theology. The first episode was last week, and it was mostly our history with the band and how it mirrored our spiritual journeys and stuff. And the second episode will come out two days after this, and it's a much deeper dive and uh, a little bit more focused a little less wandering
0: <laughs> it's it's our two tims it's two yeah. tims a band you two and a whole bunch of words and it's yep. glorious <laughs> so that that comes out on the voxology feed so just if you're wondering what that was that's what that that's was what it was so this is where i get to wander and the, the, right. we had to create a, a space for the tims to wander <laughs> so um, before we hit the music, Timothy, we've got a Seth-related questions. We're now, we're now getting Seth-related questions via the uh, interwebs. Uh, this one's from Randall, who has become my new favorite person in the world. Seth, my man, in all caps. <laughs> I love Muse, right? Seth is a big Muse fan, M-U-S-E, band yeah. out of uh, England. I even have a couple of their albums on vinyl which, I mean, let's go. Um, I need to know what Seth's favorite songs are by Muse. All right, so Seth isn't here right now, but I can answer with very clear assurance because we play the same three uh, over and over and over. I would say a minimum of 100 times each. Wow. So his current favorite is a song called Get Up and Fight, And it was off their last album. It's not one of daddy's favorites, of course, Um, but, um, but Seth loves it. And so we play it a lot. And so if he's asking for it, he'll just call it fight and then give you like air, like boxing in the air sort of fists. Um, And so we listen to that one. The second one is starlight, one of their, one of their biggest hits. He loves it. Um, and he loves starting it over yeah so we'll get about three quarters of the way through it uh and uh and start it over and just do that you know ad nauseum and, and then um the third song is um pressure um uh or is that what it's called uh no, it's um don't push yeah pressure maybe pressure's off pressure something. Um, it's off, uh, the latest album as well. And it's, um, he calls it snap because I snap my fingers to the kind of cool beat it's got. <laughs> so, so there you go, Randall. And yeah. I would tell you, uh, my favorite muse songs, but you don't seem to care. So Seth theory, oh. it is yes. Seth theory, a big muse fan. And there, there's another one called reapers that he loves or, and then there's one he loves called, um, these are all kind of current. Although he loved uh, uprising back in the day. So maybe we should maybe Seth and I should yep, have a muse that. cast. <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, we could sing it. Yes, yeah, snap. I'm so good at snapping. Anyway, Eddie put out Eddie put out a new single. Oh, I just got a solo album coming out. I know, right. Eddie Vetter for those of the uninitiated, the Gen X sort of icon that um, we're still we've plateaued with. Um, except for Miranda Lambert has been added to the Pantheon, evidently, by Stafford. That's right. So, Timothy, that's our Seth update. Hit the music. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a, a few people to thank, and we've got some Bible to look at. Uh, the people, Kelly, April, and Steven, we want to thank you so much for coming on the Patreon team. Patreon.com slash Voxology Podcast is where you can find us. Man, we are a crowdfunded nonprofit and are so grateful uh, for people like you and many others who help uh, pull all of this off. So thank you very much for that. Um, and then uh, we're going to try to get through some, uh, some notes today. It's going to be glorious. We're starting to get some great questions. And in fact, there are a couple of questions we got in. One, not, I don't know if it's expressing concern or, or more just curiosity about why we would have Dr. Uh, AJ Levine on the podcast if That's she great. is not a follower of Jesus. And if Jesus, you know, according to Jesus, is kind of the point of the thing then why would we um why why would we uh, i don't even know how to word this politely but why would we care kind of what right. her take is i it, is the gist of it and and i understand i understand the 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 question for sure right there's i mean yeah. that there is <laughs> there is in the gospels a very jesus centered sort of thing going on and um uh and and you know Paul will say things like you know you know um, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit and um, you know uh, so so there uh, I understand the questions but I, I do just want to take a moment to say well knowing though that concern why why have that conversation and and part of it for me um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too Timothy. Part of it for me has been, um, I have found the, tra- uh, it's, it's several reasons. One, I found the traditional evangelical hermeneutical circle incredibly narrow and, um, uh, it narrow in the sense of uh, it doesn't engage well with other critical parts of you know New Testament studies. Uh, it doesn't engage well with other theological systems. I've just found it to be airtight and sealed. And um, I just don't think the Bible comes at us this way. So I actually read feminist scholars, African-American scholars, LGBTQ scholars, um, uh, trying to... Um, Recognize my own my own place when I come to the text, um, and then also realizing that part of the reason why the text is so alive is that it speaks, right? It's not right. just for something that was two thousand years ago; it's still speaking. And there are things. I mean, Bonnie, our last interview with Bonnie brought up something. I was like, wow, that is such an interesting perspective. And even AJ, you know how the Old Testament ends and the Jewish. Yep. reckoning versus how it ends in the christian reckoning um really set some stuff up so so i i still think there is a ton to learn um from folks and i've come to believe that the bible pretty well teaches that not everything that it calls itself christian is christian and not everything that is non-christian is non-christian Yep. and so i don't trust in i don't trust labels i trust other things and so for AJ, uh, she is a very reputable New Testament scholar. She plays in the evangelical space nicely with others, which is you know, unique and yeah. man, she's got a doozy of a personality. So yes, of course we discern was one of the emails why I'm gonna read this or hear this with discernment. And my point is you should do that with anybody. Yep. If you're evangelical heroes, read them with discernment. Part of the reason we're in this mess is that, you know, the good guys and the bad guys were handed down to us, and we never thought to really question uh, some of the stuff we were hearing. And so um, I I just, if you're going to read with discernment, don't stop with A.J. You know, us, (laughs) I mean, particularly Stafford. um, And um, I always take the
1: reading rainbow approach and don't
0: take my word for it. Yes. Yes, because the goal, I mean, the, uh, the goal isn't really to convince you of what we're thinking or saying. I mean, we just literally off air, we're praying that, you know, God would spark curiosity. That's the, yeah. that's the aim, is that uh, Christians would approach the text again in its strangeness and find that compelling.
1: And I think she does exactly that. And she's incredibly wise and really, really intelligent, so... She brings yeah. a lot to the table.
0: Well, she's got she's everything we're not. Is is I think <laughs> yeah. what Tim is saying in that statement. So anyway, totally, we totally get that and understand that. But uh, I just think there's so much to learn, and of course, we test everything. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But um, I have the world of non evangelical scholarship has opened up a ton of the Bible to me. And, yeah. um, and I read it, obviously, with a careful eye and uh, committed to Jesus in a high view of the text, but, uh, man, there is some some stuff out there that I'd never known in my very narrow seminary education that, you know, and, and that's part of the reason why people get wrecked by this stuff is that we've never told people it's out there. And um, when you realize, oh, my goodness, there are great insights coming from all directions and the posture uh, that we're to have is to test everything and hold on to the good and to not be threatened by that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it, it, it just opens up the thing. And so nobody, I think, that emailed in is saying we shouldn't learn from people who aren't Jesus followers. No one's right. saying that. But it was just more like, hey, I'm going to read, I'm going to hear her with a different level of discernment. And, and my thought is, well, good, uh, as long as you're doing that everywhere else. Because part of the, you know, part of the trap we're in and, and, um, and really the overwhelmed you know, sort of question we get is, well, how do you know what to trust? I mean, there's so many different takes on this thing.
1: Totally. How do you know? That was know? the last episode of the, or I guess at this point, not the last episode, but the previous to last episode of that Mars Hill was a bonus episode that's interviews with Joshua Harris ah. and kind of picking apart his journey and kind of the culture that put a teenager in a position to write a book on a teenage virgin to write a book on purity and marriage and sex and stuff. And in hindsight, we're like, that's ludicrous. (laughs) But, you know, it sold millions of copies. And he became a spokesperson for telling, you know, at least my, I was right in that age group.
0: You know, you could include me in there too. Don't, don't separate yourself. I mean, I don't
1: want to, I don't want to, I don't want to typecast anybody. So I will just speak for myself. Okay. But uh, I was a youth pastor at the time and had very hard conversations
0: with kids where I was like, I
1: don't know if that's
0: yeah, yeah. I, I don't, was never. I, I think
1: you have to do
0: that. I was never on that bandwagon. Um, <laughs> so great, and, and
1: for looking at testing spirits or, or like oh, yeah. inherited belief systems. Or now we're only you know we're twenty years removed, I guess ish twenty and change from that, and everyone looks back now and's like, whoa! But at the time that was like. That was being handed around as gospel like it was an addendum to the bible
0: yeah yeah yep wild at heart uh was another one and 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 all of those people were identifying something that was missing in our articulations of christian life and so i i don't hold any whatever it's just because i mean you know 20 years from now lord knows we'll be exposed for doing the same thing no way, and and who knows? I know, right? We're the Doesn't we're the gospel first.
1: truth at that point.
0: <laughs> all right. So the goal of this little series, and maybe you're done. Maybe you just are over the Bible, and you're like, <laughs> no more, please. Um, and and you know, it does beg every every episode begs so many more questions, and totally, totally get that. And man, we're not gonna we're not gonna at all. Uh, Get to them, Um, but there are some things we want to cover that are sort of the basics of because I mean the question really the question we're trying to answer is what is a good reading what is a good and faithful reading and what isn't yeah and you can't just answer that without doing a whole truckload of work prior to that and so we start with it's the the what is the Bible it's a divine and human. Word. Okay. Well, saying it's human has implications and saying it's divine has implications. Totally. And then we mix those two together and that has implications. And so, you know, if you're over this, I totally get it. Um, <laughs> and you can skip the, probably the next several episodes because, you know, this <laughs> is a tangled web. Um, but uh, I, I think it's worth taking some time to sort of marinate. And you know, for, for Tim and I, these aren't final thoughts. Um, these are kind of statements of where we're at now and how we've wrestled and things that we're currently thinking. Um, and, you know, none of it's intended to be this sort of systematic theological approach. It's more, um, we want to provoke conversation. We want to um, help provide direction for people who want to make sense. Of the scripture, some people just read it and are like, done, I'm done with it, and I want nothing else to do with it. Others read it and are really perplexed and are asking very, very good, legit questions. And um, so it's to those, to those people we at least want to say, well, maybe here's some considerations, you know, as you think about this thing. Yeah, I don't
1: know if you watched my Marco Polo from yesterday when I left class. We have our own little Marco Polo thread. Speaking of the wanderer. Speaking of the wanderer, I'm a rambler. Uh, but the... Um I I did, by the way, I did, by the way, teaching English, uh, composition, I don't have any English students in my class. It's always an interesting conversation because so many of them are like, why am I here? I don't want to take this (laughs) class. Like, why do I have to write essays and stuff? We've had really good conversations the last couple of classes about how important education is, how important, um, that my class is just trying to teach you how to analyze and respond to something to understand it and respond to it and then and to develop critical thinking skills and I started thinking about that in lieu of because a couple students wanted to write paper topics that were coming from positions that I wholeheartedly disagree with or um know to be kind of founded in not fact Mm -hmm. but uh, as a teacher I have to Mm -hmm. walk with them and help provoke the conversation and kind of see their line of thinking through all the way through Uh, And I was thinking about that in regards to what you're talking about right now and that trying to provoke discipleship in people, but in like a long-term sense of like people who are hungry to chase after learning and mystery. And, you know, a lot of the things that you just said, I think is such a important and lost pursuit in like American evangelical Christianity that we just don't yeah. have a hunger to keep learning and to test things and to be critical and yeah. to try to understand a text and then respond to it and find your place in it. And so I think that that like, realistically we could do this series on the Bible until both of us die and obviously not do anything <laughs> other than hopefully provoke a conversation. And well,
0: that's what's you know, happening to us. That's the great thing yeah. is we just get to invite people into what we do. Yep. And so, you know, people will ask, well, why, you know, how, how did you learn so much? And it's just like, well, I was doubting and curious and skeptical. And yeah, it's like <laughs> something yeah. didn't
1: make sense. And I wanted to understand why.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the Bible is kind of like the source of all of that. So anyway, our goal is, is we're, soul is soul it's a bono quote. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Um, uh, so, as, as a human word, we've talked about accommodation. We're talking now about context. And so, we talked a bit about, you know, situating ourself before the text. Where, what community am I a part of? What are the glasses and lenses I'm bringing to the text? Yeah. Um, secondly, we, we want to situate the audience and realize that very often, the audience is in the exact opposite place of where right. I'm sitting and that should provoke humility right instead of hermeneutical narcissism it should provoke hermeneutical humility where i'm 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 realizing the distance between me and their first audience then i need to situate the text and what that means is i need to make the bible strange again and yeah. i need to recognize something called hermeneutical distance or the hermeneutical horizon right that it's far away And we riffed first on the idea that we're separated by time. And we just used the example of an email, you know, that would be full of cultural references. But those change so quickly, you know, that even something from 20 years ago um, is not going to communicate. We were separated by culture. And we looked at patron-client relationships as an example of, of the relationship between grace and faith. And we realized, oh, there's there's some stuff there that we just don't, we don't pick up on. It's not, it's not that our readings then, um, are totally wrong. It's just that they're not situated well, um, in order to translate them back into what's happening now. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and this is the hard work of, of trying as best you can to situate the text in its original context we're also so we're separated by time culture and we're separated obviously by language um, anyone who says that hey all i need is my bible um <laughs> is wrong because they've already needed um thousands of people editing copying translating um making interpretive decisions over the meaning of words i mean your yeah. your english bible is resting already on a ton of biblical scholarship tons of scholarship not all of it by evangelical christians and um so so just to say i don't you know i to be suspicious of outside influence in your bible it's like it's too late just <laughs> th- that you would get it that you're reading it in english means it's already been yeah. filtered yeah and there are different approaches and translation philosophies. Gombas has talked about those. So we won't revisit that topic. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the realization that this sits behind us, it's in Hebrew and Aramaic um, and in Greek. And obviously we don't have at all working knowledge of those. You know, there are all sorts of internet tools, but that's not a working knowledge of the languages, right? And the, yeah. the nuances. I mean, if when you read certain levels of like commentary scholarship. What the, the, going back and forth on Greek words for, you know, 20 or 30 years, I mean, is <laughs> very common. And, um, and so our English Bibles reflect divergence in some places over some of the most obscure words. Some of our, some of the sentences in our English Bibles are very, very, very hard to translate. Yeah. And every word is disputed by scholars. Now the nice thing is nothing major rests on this, um, except for one example which I personally hold dear, and that is keeping women quiet in church. Hmm. The second Timothy or the first Timothy two passages, every word of that thing has been disputed forever. Um, but but you know, and that's a different podcast for a different day. The point is that language, I mean think about how English works with two, two and two, yeah. right? Or if right. I say if I say, hey, that's a good dog, I can mean, well, that my dog just went outside to go to the bathroom or I just had a good hot dog. You know, yep. I'm at the ballpark, yeah. right? <coughs> and that's just and a I did silly. That when
1: I was at Vox OC with uh, commas and the let's eat grandpa with no comma and just yes. basic grammar lessons about how different a comma changes. Like if you're looking in hindsight or translating, you're like, why are they talking about eating their grandparents? Yes. Versus and inviting grandpa to dinner.
0: Yeah, and there wasn't punctuation, and there weren't verse yeah. markers or headings. I mean, we've just your English Bible has had so much inserted. Now that doesn't mean you can't trust it, but it means that there is still work yeah. that has been done and needs to be done. All right, so so I mean, and think about all the new words we have just for our tech age, right? I mean, you would never, I would never have known what Googling something, you totally, know, yeah. meant, or I mean, uh, good lord, or a
1: confusing tweet where it might be in. Right years.
0: Right, my tweets. Um, why do they all speak like birds?: <laughs> I love when you do that accent. It's just it's It's just very funny.
1: It really ties the room together.:
0: Oh my goodness. And so you know, words are such interesting I mean, and, and a great example of this, of course, is the are the four different Greek words for love, Yeah, right? We just have an English word, love but you know the 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 four different greek words are very nuanced and they they mean different things or it's like the fruit of the spirit like paul isn't describing six different parts of the fruit of the spirit he he chooses a word to describe singular the fruit is singular there to describe the love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control kind of fruit Mm. so it's one fruit that the spirit produces but it looks like that, and so he has to use a word. I mean, our words about homosexuality are massively important
1: yeah.
0: uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, and, and a lot of the debates about uh, the appropriateness or not go around, you know, Paul's using words that he doesn't use anywhere else and that aren't, aren't common in Greek language. Um, so, so the language, I mean, absolutely matters. Like, even think about the Beatitudes. We read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we think, oh, if I want to be blessed, then uh, I have to be poor in spirit, as if it were a reward, when in actuality, uh, Jesus is just saying, the people who are poor in spirit are already in their blessed place.
1: Yeah. And we have a whole episode on that at the beginning of the Whole
0: episode. Yes. In some languages, there is no room for privacy or no language for privacy. Or, you know, you hear stories about Eskimos have so many different words for snow, right? They're just there there there's so many i mean even in the midwest i follow this account on twitter called midwest versus everybody and it has a field day with the combination of yes and no's so if somebody says hey do you want to do this and you say ah maybe that's a no right if they say no (laughs) yeah that's a yes you know, or like, yeah, no, that's a no. I mean, and they do it way better. It's hilarious, yeah. but but even that, right? Yeah. There's so much separation. So again, and we 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 all know this intellectually. We know the text is distant, but when I sit with my English Bible, and and have been taught to have my time with God, and what does this verse mean to me? I just think I can look at it in English and figure it out without any help whatsoever. And, um, and I want to just make the case that's not how it works and that's not how yeah. it's supposed to work. And that's not how it works with any other piece of literature, all right? So we've got uh, language, culture, time, then you have customs, all right? So like head coverings is a huge example of customs in the New Testament. Paul talks about modesty. And you're like, oh, this is weird. I mean, and there are still some churches today, I think, that insist on head coverings for women. Um, But we don't realize the kind of modesty that Paul's talking about isn't sexual, Um, um, at least in all the places. I mean, maybe in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about um, church women covering their heads because that was proper in social situations. Um, but in First Timothy, when he talks about women dressing modestly, it's economic modesty, right? So, we, so we talk about modesty as if it were just this, you know, monolithic thing about like how, not wearing expensive uh, clothing. Yeah, don't shame the poor by what you wear. Right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, dress simply. Yeah, and so, oh, so there were all sorts of customs. So whenever I come to a text that I don't understand. I'm immediately, I don't sit in judgment of it. I'm immediately thinking, okay, I'm missing culture, language, time, custom. There's something here I'm missing. Right. Right? Um, And so I don't don't sit there and go, oh, what a piece of trash. I sit there and I go, okay, well, this is going to be interesting to see if there's some background piece here that I'm not aware of.
1: And that's the discipleship key, right? Like that's the being a student, being a pursuer of the text. Yes. Saying this is confusing, I'm gonna mark it and maybe figure that out over time, rather than being like the spirit is just gonna show it to me. Yes. Which is kind of I feel like how we were, or I was raised, where it's like you can open it up and the Bible is God's word, therefore the spirit will just reveal to you whatever right you need right <laughs> in that and, moment. Or, and
0: could the spirit do that?
1: Sure. Maybe, I don't know. I, have, I don't feel like I've had that experience or maybe I don't understand what that means fully and that's probably a different conversation, but...
0: Um, well, it's it's what's God's preferred way of operating? Right. Is it the sudden flash? Is it the hard work of of exegesis and hermeneutics? Is it the cultivation of wisdom? Right? I mean, you, I think a lot of the Bible stories that we normalize are there because they're the exceptions, not the rules. Right. And so, you know, as, as we read the book of Acts, you're looking at years going by, but it just seems like, well, and then, <laughs> you know, some dude fell out the window and he was resurrected. And then, right. you know what I mean? And yeah. you're like, well, no, I, I I don't know that that's the normal way yeah. um, it works. So obviously, um, as we go on, we are separated. And again, I know we all know this and I uh, I, I feel almost bad wasting time on it, but Again, this is kind of the work we have to do. Time, culture, language, custom, geography. Notice how Christianity is different depending on where you travel. Like I just came to Tennessee and there's a different Christian set here of behaviors that are okay and not okay than there was in California. You know what I mean? Like, Hunting is a big deal. Alcohol, people, everyone drinks bourbon and whiskey here. Um, now I, I don't know if that's true of all the denominations or whatever, but it's like that's a part of life. That's God's that, milk. That in Southern California, no one would just have long conversations about bourbon and whiskey. Um, you would okay. Well, well done as you drink your smart water. <laughs> um, but but you know, geography plays a part because yeah. the customs or the nuances to language. You know, evolve differently. And that's a good point.
1: That's in within one particular country that you yeah have experienced that speaks that. the same language,
0: yeah. right? Has the same customs. Yeah. Um, but yet there are these flavors. The same to, person, Second Amendment rights. Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. But there, but it's different emphasis depending totally. on where you're at. And so, yeah, there. It's just an interesting, um, an interesting thing I'm noticing. Um, that we don't pay any attention to geography when we're looking at, you know, okay, so how is Rome different than Corinth? Totally.
1: You know what I mean? I Especially mean, in, a, in a non, I mean, you're experiencing that difference in 2021 in a very interconnected yes. world where you have like people, I'm aware of things happening in Nashville via social media, et cetera. But from Rome to Corinth, there is no social media. There are letters from Paul Maybe explaining certain things here and there or whatever. Totally, but totally. Like
0: they're not even connected the no, way we are. No, not at all. I mean, my—it's so funny. I had a close relative who was fine using the N-word and being completely racist, but I played cards in a church before a wedding. We were playing euchre, just waiting for the ceremony, <laughs> right? And he was—he was, he was beside himself. Yeah. And you're going, oh, well, that's interesting, right? I mean. <laughs> So so even that creates totally. distance. Uh and a, as a part of that distance different from culture and different from custom are value systems. Hmm. Value systems are rankings of um the the uh, grievous nature of different acts. Right? So in our society it is not grievous to be a billionaire. In collectivist societies, it would be totally, um, or at least there would be a social obligation to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That doesn't mm-hmm. exist. I mean, so that's just one very sort of obvious example. So, value systems are rankings of social behaviors, and so very often, what happens is that I'll put I, I will begin when there are parts of the bible that disagree so like you know there's the warnings against alcohol but then there's encouragement to drink alcohol Mm -hmm. um and we'll rank that you know so which is it um am i free in christ or do i not use my freedom to cause others to stumble and there'll be huge splits and big conversations about something like that but, but often what's happening is our cultural valuations are getting inserted into that conversation. Totally. Yep. So for some drinking, isn't an issue at all. And for others, like my, like my daughter is in a Christian school and their Bible teachers talking about alcohol all the time. And it's like, with all that teenagers are going through <laughs> and dealing with, especially like,
1: in this particular time period.
0: Yes, that's, we want to talk about whether or not it's okay to socially drink, you know? Yeah. And for me, again, that's a clash in value systems. Mm -hmm. so under the under the same rough umbrella right exactly so you take you take uh the approach to the text you take sodom and gomorrah Mm -hmm. westerners will emphasize this nature of the sexual sin yeah easterners will will talk about the failure of the community Mm -hmm. that it was a communal offense he wasn't practicing hospitality and in fact the bible supports both um uh, I, I personally think in Ezekiel it, it, it says, "Here was the sin of of Sodom," and it doesn't list the sexual activity; it lists justice, right. injustice as the issue. Yeah. So, so again, we will come. We come at hot takes. We come at celibacy, sex, dating, purity, with a massive different, a different set of cultural values than the rest of the world does. Yeah. We're um, obsessed. What we did
1: Gombas call it? Uh, Obsessed with genitals,
0: even (laughs) genitals. Yes. And it's kind of true. And that was the whole (laughs) purity movement you were talking about earlier, right? It's, it's porn, it's lust, it's masturbation. It's how far can I go? It's that whole thing. And that was the, the topic. It wasn't wealth, selfishness, greed, how you treat people that are social inferiors. None of that. Yep. It was, you know, it was, it was drinking and sex that were the things. So those, so those are just value systems. And and in some cultures being single is just fine. And being celibate is a virtue, Mm -hmm. you know, for us, that's just like, oh my Lord. So, so when Paul's talking about, you know, virgins and, and staying where you are because of the present crisis, right? We want to read value systems into that stuff that reflect us and don't necessarily (laughs) reflect what he's doing.
1: Yeah, we'll read into it when we're when we're um, in a fight
0: with our spouse,
1: and that's be like, what I'm well, saying. You know, when Paul was talking about it's better to yeah. stay single, we're
0: like, well, maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> but do you see how we sit in judgment? Absolutely. Over, and he's so backwards. And mm-hmm. and what are we doing there? Yeah. Well, we're just critiquing him totally apart from his social setting. Yeah. And um and and, and so I want to give one example. Specific of value systems that that I mean, we could spend episodes on this, but it's 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 an honor shame culture versus a guilt and innocence culture and This could either be a cultural value or it could be a a value system. It works both. It works in both arenas This was this was massively important Um, and um, for collectivist cultures shame is a good thing. Shaming is not a good thing, but shame itself is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Honor and shame have to do with your face. So your face is your outward, uh, representation to the world and, and what people think of you, uh, Westerners make right and wrong internal. We have our individual conscience. And the only thing we say to each other is listen, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, you know, do whatever and we make our conscience, our internal privatized guilt and innocence mechanisms, right. the arbiter of good behavior. And that's why evangelicals spend so much time on sin management is where they've got to, they've got to sharpen our guilt indicator to sort of keep us in line. All right. So it's your, it's the reason you don't do things in a Western conception uh, is because of you, because it violates your conscience in the Eastern conception. In an honor and shame conception, the reason you don't do things is because the community is watching hmm. and you will bring shame to your face, okay? Which is to your name, to your reputation. So, so um, when we teach our kids right and wrong, we're teaching them to listen to that communal or to, to that individual voice inside themselves. In collectivist cultures, you're taught to respect the norms of the community, And you bring shame and dishonor to your name. When you do something that violates the community norm and you bring honor and favor, um, to your face and your tribe, you know, family, whatever, when you do something that the community determines is good. So you could commit violence in an honor shame culture and the community would think that's heroic Hmm. and your individual conscience has nothing to do with that. If the community said this was heroic, it was heroic right so so in eastern culture you're not concerned with the rightness and wrongness of the act you're concerned with how the act is affected by and affects the community right and then what the community will say so when you're preserving your face um, what that means is you are accumulating social honor by how you act publicly. Remember in collectivist cultures, privacy is, is not something that is valued even remotely. You're always with somebody. And so, you know, for so shame, your
1: public self in that example that you're giving, there isn't as much of a public and private self. Correct. So when they your public self shame, is yourself. Gotcha. So it's not, there's not a delineation between the two where, it only matters Correct. what you're doing publicly, because and you can be doing whatever privately. Yes,
0: so we so we conceive of shame, um, or at least I do, as what happens when my private self is right. exposed and totally. my public self is exposed as a fraud, right? And my private mm-hmm. self shines through. Shame for an Eastern culture is not internalized like that at all. Shame just means you're bringing dishonor, you're you're bringing shame to your face um or you are bringing honor and the hmm. the community approves and so like when when paul talks about confronting peter publicly right that's an honor shame thing he was shaming yeah. now again shaming for us is totally negative and, and shame is almost always negative in eastern conceptions, shame is a good thing shame means you're actually governed by communal behaviors hmm um and so you know part of why you would be ostracized right or cast out or excommunicated was because that was the harshest thing a community could do to you a death sentence taken out of your community correct yeah and and your face has been cast off you know what i mean so you see this so so like for instance and and you know i don't know if this is true but i've read accounts of like eastern cultures even today that will not fine you for littering but they will make you wear um, something that says "I am a litterer," mm-hmm. um, and then you will perform acts of service publicly in that shirt, thus bringing shame on yourself and you know your family or whatever. And so, um, what we hope when we disciple people is that the the social norms or the the, the value systems of the Bible get internalized into the person. Right, for Paul these social norms are to be brought uh, and internalized into the community. Yeah, it's really interesting. Absolutely. So so sin, as one example, has very little to do with you offending God uh, and God being angry at you. Sin in the Bible is communal, and that's why you have instances of all Israel being punished for the sin of one. Hmm. Right? Or or God... um, i mean that's where you get being in adam versus being in christ this idea that that the one sort of can represent the whole um, um, or you'll get the condemnation of israel as a group even though there were clear examples of people that weren't as bad right. as everybody else right yeah. so so this the community is to be saturated with these customs and norms rather than the individual that's why the harshest thing paul can say about sin in the community was cast this person over to Satan. Now, he's not saying literally hold a service and invite Satan to take this person. He's saying outside of the new creation space made by Jesus of Nazareth, Satan reigns. Mm-hmm. You know, remove the person, which is the harshest thing that you could do. It's really interesting because it,
1: uh, or at least the thing that pops up in my brain is that it changes the definition of accountability or at least the or the way which we have kind of run with it and then also like the like the things that get spoken of like living above reproach or right um, right
0: not giving the appearance of evil yes now, some so it's
1: kind of interesting in that communal sense
0: versus the individual shame culture yes sense now no just because it's communal doesn't always mean it's good right i mean we have right. we have legalistic religious communities that are awful Right. And, and they just teach you to pretend, yeah. you know what I mean? For the approval mm-hmm. of others. And so, yeah. and, 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 Jesus speaks about that, um, when he talks about hypocrisy, the difference between a public face where you're performing relig- right, for right, religious, religious goods and your private. Yeah. Um, so, so we're not saying, Hey, uh, the answer to this is then just to care about what everyone thinks. Because um, our our society isn't set up that way. And it, it, if you're on social media at all, we'll destroy you. <laughs> <Total>. um, <laughs> but it, it goes back to, this is the language that the New Testament is talking. So when it talks about like God being jealous, it has nothing to do with him being insecure. It has everything to do with his name being seen as great. Hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like if my kids started some calling somebody else dad, there okay. would be a jealousy to that that is totally appropriate, right? Um, yeah. And so, so jealous is an honor shame word. You you and, and you get this all over. Um, you get this all over the place. So sin affects an entire group. Salvation is a you know um, um, uh, conformity to a community. Um, the Lord's, you know, prayer, hallowed be thy name. I mean, that's an honor shame. You get a lot of this. Oh, my goodness. You get a ton of this when Jesus is responding to questioners in the Gospels. So, a lot of this is honor shame stuff. So, the Pharisees will try to shame Jesus by trapping him. Right. Because shame, and this is an important thing, shame is there's a fixed, there's a fixed amount of honor. And so, every interaction, there's a winner and a loser. Okay? Every inter- public interaction. And so Jesus will often, and the reason the gospel writers often include these stories um, is because Jesus is winning shame encounters by being extraordinary. You know, by asking a question uh, back and you're like, oh my goodness, that was genius. Like, hey, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, that's that's an honor-shame, that's a provoking question. If Jesus answers poorly, he is shamed in the eyes of one group, right Right, or another right because that was a very fervent question and what jesus does of course is he says give me a denarii and or give me denarius and you know he does this brilliant thing and the reason it's so brilliant is because it escapes the honor shame trap and he accumulates honor in the eyes of the community that's why it will say over and over and over hey the religious leaders could not kill him or capture him because of the crowd um there's just it's just a backdrop that sits behind the value systems of many things in the bible yeah and so um it it and and again it it and it should call into account our purely individualistic conception of self and church and god and everything but it also doesn't mean it's not without its own problems and there are plenty There are plenty there. Jesus, in, in fact, will say, listen, if, and this is where hate language comes in with Jesus. Um, if you're unwilling to sh- be shamed for my sake in front of your family, you are not worthy of me. That's what it means to hate your family. It doesn't mean to hate them, but it means to be w- willing to be shamed, to lose honor publicly for the sake of Jesus. Um, so, So much of that is what's going on um, in, in sort of the kind of the background operating system of the New Testament. All right? So, I mean, and we could talk, you know, a ton more, but the point is <laughs> what we do, and this is because we're hermeneutical narcissists, um, we just read with very little attention to time, culture, language, customs, geography, or value systems, right? We just... Yeah, yeah we kind of just put our stuff in there. All right. So let's see, what are we at? 48 minutes. Dang it. Right, I'm, I'm going to get through, I'm going to get through this next section. It's going to be so obnoxious, but I'm, I'm gonna, I just can't sit on it anymore. I think we're fine. Well, all right. So how do we overcome the distance? All right. Because we can, and we do. I um, mean the
1: distance of
0: The hermeneutical distance, the distance of time, culture, language, customs, geography, value systems. And we do this with a fancy word called context, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, Humility leads us to pay attention to everything in a text. So whenever a place is named in the text, we pay attention to that and wonder, what's happened there? Okay. You know, every time we read about a custom, okay, well that's shorthand for something we're missing. You know, when Jesus yeah. gathers in the Feast of Unleavened Bread and does X right. and says, I'm the bread of life, well, okay, there's there's something big happening.
1: Yeah, it's not just him making a bread reference at a bread festival. Just yes, to...
0: yes, yes, exactly. So, So you begin to start just asking questions about time, about place, about characters, about names, about language. Um, and, and then you do the work of context. So I'm going to give... And, and Dan Kibble has a great saying that he quoted from somebody else that just said, hey, never read a verse of the Bible. Just never right. read a verse. Yeah, You can do a lot of damage with a verse. You have a hard, harder time doing damage when you're doing the work of context. So, um, and this is the no duh, and I'm going to go through this as fast as I can with examples. All right? All right. Usually uh there or sometimes there is context in a verse that's missing so like for instance um (laughs) at at several churches i've worked we would um talk about vision statements using this verse where there is no vision the people will perish Mm -hmm. and it's just funny because there's a second part of the verse that says but happy is the person who obeys god's law right now that is an example of something called parallelism which is all throughout proverbs psalms even jesus when jesus says um uh, uh he says um father in heaven hallowed be thy name that kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that kingdom come that king uh, that will be done sorry i have it memorized in the king james um that's parallelism he's saying the same thing twice mm-hmm. he's not saying two different things so what's it mean for his kingdom to come it means his will's done yeah and what's it mean for his will to be done it means his kingdom is coming and so because we rip off the second part of but happy is the person who obeys God's law right the vision that's being talked about there isn't my strategic plan for the church and reaching you know the nations you know it's a vision of God and a vision of Torah and a vision of my relationship with God right it's not it I mean it's like no duh but you know, we can do a lot with a verse out of context. So there's context usually within a sentence, all right? Sometimes it'll correct itself in a sentence. Sometimes <laughs> in the, the, cor-
1: in the... just in the end of the sentence.
0: Yeah, you- <laughs> yeah. Pay attention to what comes after the semicolon. Right. Then there are um, context clues in the paragraphs. So um, a great example of this is when um, James talk- talks about resisting the devil, in James four and you're wondering, Ooh, and I've, I've been told specifically what that is. That's rehearsing my testimony that's rebuking the devil. But as it turns out, if you look at the, like the paragraph, it's talking about how we treat people and, um, and, and it's just submitting to God and resisting the devil is rejecting the world's wisdom about how to treat each other and embracing God's wisdom about how to treat each other. And that wisdom is gentle um so that's resisting the devil in that context right or yeah, we talked about no- this yesterday in
1: my class with what was called hit and run quoting like uh, always always offering context and response to anytime you use the source don't just drop a quote and then move on because the reader is confused without the context right and so they call it hit and run like just you know so it's interesting because it applies to this in that same way where it's just like throw that
0: verse and be like all right you guys Resist the devil, he will, he will flee. Yes. It's same thing in in Ephesians four resisting the devil or fighting the devil is about how you treat each other, Hmm. um, which is just, and again, it's just in the context, so you can have context in, uh, the sentence itself in a paragraph or in a section, which is a fancy word for this is called a pericope. It's a, it's a literary unit. And a great example of this is the thief in John 10, 10, We always hear the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. And as you read, because there weren't paragraph breaks and n- chapter numbers and verse numbers, the thief turns out to be the false religious leaders earlier in chapter nine, because he's talking to them through nine and 10 and not the devil. So he's contrasting his shepherding of people with the religious leader shepherding of the people and that comes straight out of uh, jeremiah 23 and ezekiel 34 where the sheep shepherd sort of thing describing israel's leaders is used yeah right so again okay it's not i'm sure the devil does come to steal kill and destroy but uh, if you read it in context and again i've made all of these mistakes i mean that's how i have learned, right? (laughs) So you start with the whole sentence, (laughs) then you read the paragraph, (laughs) then you read the literary unit, right? Then you read the entire book yeah. And, and no one wants to do this. So that's why we like our one minute devotionals, but like Gombus right now, he's going through Romans and on his podcast, I highly recommend it. It shook my entire worldview, um, several years ago when I realized Romans is not a systematic theology. Um, in, in fact, far less so Romans was written to, uh, deal with an ethnic crisis in the Roman house churches between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, the Jews had been kicked out earlier from Rome by Nero and it, and we we're now coming back into these house churches filled with Gentile Christians yeah. and they were judging each other's so calling each other, the strong or the weak. And, and Gombus, I mean, he's like into chapter five, I think by now, but he does such a great job, um, of highlighting. That's what Paul's doing. He's not giving the Romans road to salvation. This yeah. is not the theological end all be all. In fact, if you want, if you want a better overview of Paul's theology, read Ephesians or Colossians, those were letters that weren't addressing a crisis and were meant to be circulated. Mm. So that's a great example. And, and by the way, if you want a book on this, um, Scott McKnight wrote a book that is the best book on Romans it, understanding it this way that I've read and it's relatively accessible. It's called reading Romans backwards and he deals with the, 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 so then bits of Paul first, and then shows how all the theology that comes before that.
1: Yeah. I'll link it in the show notes.
0: Not for uh, Amazon. It's no, Tim would kill us. Yeah. Uh, but Tim's doing a great, I mean, please, if you're again, You got to work with Gombus. You're like chewing on 45, 50 minutes of like him lecturing. And it's so good.
1: Yeah, too. When he started it, he has his own, I don't want to say version of Romans, but he's printed out his own like without chapter breaks and that kind of stuff so you can follow along. And then he's offering it. I mean, I I got it from him immediately. He'll email you a copy of it so you can follow along. I just print it off with blank pages in between each
0: page. to. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so it's, to... it's Romans without the verse numbers, paragraph yeah. breaks, and uh, chapters. Yeah. Yep. Uh, another example of reading the whole book is the least of these in Matthew 25, where you are talked about how you treat the least of these. And, and I know this is a total bummer for all of our activists out there, but when you read the least of these sort of in Matthew, when he talks about the least of these brothers of mine, he's talking about the disciples, this yeah. isn't this isn't like the poor, although that of course is commended. Yeah, but um, he's talking about the disciples, how you treat the disciples, um, and those that will come after him bearing the message. And so, and that was a very common way in collectivist culture. If you to be someone's apostle, meant that how they treated you was how you treated the one who sent you. Right. So that's why Jesus will use language in John like, hey, if you reject me, you're rejecting the one who sent me. And then he'll use right. language about his disciples. If you reject them, you reject me. That's how it worked. Yep. You know yeah. what I'm saying? All right, so once we've got sentence, and, and, and this is what you teach. I love that you teach English. This is just what it is to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got the sentence, we've got the paragraph, we've got the section, we've got the book, and then, You've got the corpus. Now, that is a fancy word for all of the writings of the same author. Now, you don't use this one first because very often the audiences in the New Testament didn't have the other books, Yeah. right? They just had like maybe one or two of Paul's letters. You know, when they were reading 1 Corinthians, they didn't have 2 Corinthians. You know what I mean? Or or, or you maybe,
1: assume that because Stephen King wrote one book about vampires, that
0: all books are about vampires. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so a great example of this is how people use the phrase abundant life in John's gospel, um, when if you look at what life means throughout his gospel and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it doesn't have anything to do with abundance. Mm -hmm. As we define it, it has to do with eternal life, uh, an eternal kind of life that actually begins now. So often, um, you know, and, and we can do that with Paul in ways the original audience couldn't, we'll see how Paul uses a concept like justification in some places, and then chooses not to use it in other places and ask why. Yeah. So, so all of this helps bridge the, the distance. Often the text will give us clues itself if we just pay attention long enough. Then we have to go to cultural context. And this is where we have loads of scholarship, some good, some bad. Um, on man backgrounds archaeological digs ancient texts inscriptions coins like man there is we we get so much inside the dead sea scrolls were the biggest uh the biggest find of the 20th century because they bridge the horizon almost a thousand years we were seeing copies of the hebrew scriptures Um, that were earlier than the ones we had. And then we also saw some of the other writings of the Essene community and some apocalyptic literature floating around at that time that we could compare to Revelation. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. So we've already used a cultural context as an example with head coverings, but -hmm. you also get to Paul's statements about women speaking. And I would argue, and we've talked about it on on the pod, of course, those are absolutely cultural. Um, greet each other with a holy kiss. You know, cultural. Uh, um, when when Paul says in that same text, um, "I want men to raise holy hands in prayer," um, you know, not everyone's raising their hands. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, th- there there are there is a place, um, and it's not the place of primacy, but it, there is a very important place for this background, and that's where people like A.J. Mm-hmm. or I've read. Uh, historians like John Dominic Crossan, who is, um, who he and I would not agree on much, although obviously he's much smarter than me. I, I read loads of history um, written by non-Jesus people to learn what Rome was like, and right. and and you and, and that that can't help but enliven. Yeah. Um, and and then obviously um, once we've dug through all of that, then you sit in the entire Bible. And, um, you know, <laughs> and a great example of this is is where Jesus calls himself the son of man. And you're reading that in the gospels and you're like, why is that capitalized? Um, and then you realize, oh, that's, a, that's something from Daniel. But then Daniel has a very specific context that then gets picked up when Jesus talks about his second coming. And certainly in Revelation, the way the text sort of portrays this lamb that's been slaughtered, um, and you're like, wow, there's a thread there. Or new creation, right? The, the new creation, the image we get from Genesis 1 and 2 that's reinforced in the book of Isaiah, mentioned again in um, the, the text of Acts and uh, several of Paul's letters, particularly in First uh, or Second Peter, and then brought to a close in Revelation, like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we just sit and and i know this sounds like an immense i mean who has time for this of course and that's why hallelujah there are people like the bible project or um scott mcknight or tim Gombis or amy jill or whoever who are doing a lot of this scholarly work and they've Um,
1: been doing it for decades yeah. And, they're building, yeah, and they're exactly. building. On other people who were doing. I think that's such an important part of all this. Is like it. It does seem like a daunting thing when you look at it from a bird's eye view at the enormity of it all. Yeah. But it's not something that's meant to be understood and tackled in an afternoon.
0: Yes. Hence, that's patience. Why that's why
1: I'm so yeah. I'm so interested in like the discipleship as what that looks like. Because I think we do. We have been ingrained with an idea that it, that this is magic and that it does happen in the moment and and then right. we become frustrated and we, we right. let go or we just take anyone that's going to give us something. Yes. Definitive in the moment. We'll take that and just say, okay, I can put that, I can file that away and move on to the next definitive thing. But there is a lifelong pursuit. It's a long road to, you know, to get to, I, mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination or it's yes. a, yes.
0: So Which how cool. do we so how do we measure faithful reading in the meantime? I don't know. That man. oh <laughs> well I mean I think I think Jesus is super clear on this. Yeah. I think Paul is too. Right? Fruit. Right. Yep. So what does see, there isn't a big division in the Bible between um, what you believe and what you do. What you do is what you believe, right? Yeah. So you can say yeah, I believe God owns all my money, and I'm just managing it, and then right. you, you hoard and you're greedy and whatever. Well, that's what you really believe. It doesn't matter what you say or sing, right? Your, exactly. your, your beliefs are always shown through the way that you live. You can give lip service to anything. So in the Bible, there is no distinction between what you believe and how you live. Right. But, but we've had to do that in America and and we've talked about this, you know, very recently, because we wanted to divorce love of neighbor and love for, of God. We wanted to separate those two things. So that's why many of us are suspicious of social justice or, um, you know, BLM or all the cultural uh, things that are happening around us, because we've been taught that isn't part of the gospel. Um, and I think what the New Testament teaches is. Oh, it is part of the gospel because the gospel, gospel is social and the church is supposed to be justice. It's supposed to be, and Gombas has some great stuff on this. But uh, the point I, I want to make here is simply this. As we're working out our perfect doctrines and our, you know, revived understandings, like we are held accountable to how we are living in the meantime, right? That's, that is, you can have... Um, and this is where I always thought, and and forgive me for being, name, naming people here, but I always thought it was so interesting when Rob Bell was called a heretic, because for me, for a while there in the twenty zeros, it felt like the future of Christianity was either going to be Mars Hill, Seattle, or Mars Hill, Grand Rapids, right? And so I was very curious um, about this, and then and then Rob got deemed heretical, but for for me, and I've thought this uh, from. The day that farewell, you know, Rob Bell tweet came out from John Piper, what's the greater heresy? Um, having doctrine that doesn't quite line up and being compassionate and working for justice or having doctrine that has been approved by a specific community and being a dick.
1: Right. Absolutely. And,
0: and, and to me, the Bible's really clear on that. Yeah. The, the greater heresy is failure to love. So now theology will inform what kind of fruit counts as Jesus shaped fruit. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, we could all just say, Hey, be nice. And that's just what the fruit is. And that's not the fruit that Jesus identifies. Jesus, right. the fruit is Jesus shaped. Right. That's the, that's the point. Well, how do you know what Jesus shaped fruit is? Well, that's where you've actually got to go to the text and sit yeah. in Jesus. But, um, but it's very important to understand, at least for me, the goal of this isn't to, um, to arrive at some crystal clear place of absolute um, clarity where I have a nice theological system backed up by what I think are all these great readings. Um, as somebody who loves philosophy and loves studying, like, of course, I love that. I'd, I'd love to have a chart and a graph somewhere right. that just sort of captured all this. The problem of course, is none of that's the goal of it. And so the only way to measure faithful readings are are do they produce Jesus-shaped fruit in communities, not in people, in communities. And that's have
1: hermeneutical humility.
0: Yes, it does. Because then it opens up the possibility there are people out there who believe very differently, but who act in a more Jesus-like manner. Mm -hmm. And there are people who believe at least what we would say to be orthodox, but they're awful people. Mm -hmm. and which is the greater heresy now that doesn't mean there isn't heresy on the other side too right and the goal is a faithful reading right i want to approximate the goal of my discipleship is to approximate jesus life now that is a partnership between me and the spirit of god but i want to approximate jesus life through and in my life right right and community is necessary to do that you can't do that apart from community So I need the text, but I don't need the text as the end in and of itself. Mastery of the text is not the goal. Mastery, the text is mastered when we keep coming to it in a humble position and we're seeing the fruit of its transformation in our real lives. Yeah, Right? That I can say after studying the Bible, I don't know more, but I've become more loving. I imitate Jesus more with people who I think used to think were enemies. Mm -hmm. Right? That is the fruit of proper interpretation yeah so we're going to have a whole episode on that sucker because to me that is one of the most important points we've got to make is um is yes we let's take the bible off of the sacred golden tablet pedestal let's elevate it even higher than that by receiving it as it comes to us a divine and human word and then recognize that the work that the Bible is supposed to do in us is to baptize us into a reality where Jesus is Lord and that the world is conquered through the sacrificial suffering of his followers. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, what, that's the kind of thing we're sort of populating our imaginations with. So to me, that's the proper. Now, and again, I mean, I'm sure there are all sorts of nuances we're missing. Um, but to me, that's the proper ordering. The text witnesses to Jesus. The text isn't Jesus. Mm. The text is to provoke fruit in me. And if it's not, then I'm reading it wrongly. No matter how rightly I think I'm reading it, you know. And I think yeah. that is. I think that is absolutely um, one of the co- most colossal mistakes we as american western christians have made has been to somehow think that our our right thinking is the goal of this thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um because if 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 you're consumed with that and i've been there man i have been there for when i was in college i was an ardent calvinist i found it so philosophically you know just airtight and had an answer for everything and it could explain evil and and, um, and then just a very gentle guy <laughs> took me to the Bible. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, what do you do with this? Yeah. And it just didn't fit. Now, that didn't mean the other system, everything fit either. So I've tried to get beyond systems to let it all sort of hang in balance and intention. But if you're, if you're dying in all of this and you're so frustrated, it feels so overwhelming. Here's what I want you to do. Seriously. Seriously. Stop listening. Pick up the book of Mark. Grab a pad of paper and a pen. Start in Mark 1 and just write down questions. Right? So, it's going to say the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of David, I think, or something like that. Son of Abraham. And you're like, okay, right there. The beginning, gospel. Okay, I think I know what gospel is, but is is gospel that Jesus died for my sins? Is that gospel here or does he mean something else? Because mm. what he means is what he's about to spend 16 chapters writing. Right. That's the gospel. Right? So, And then and you're like, well, who cares if he's the son of whoever? What, what, who's Abraham? Who's David? Why do they matter? Right? And, and I know we just said this like last episode, but I mean, it just bears repeating. I, yeah. When this gets overwhelming, Take away all the other stuff and pick up Jesus of Nazareth. Yep. I don't believe the Bible because I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible because of Jesus. Yeah. Now, and I the know Bible the Bible tells you to do that. I mean, that's <laughs> Yes. There you know what I mean? Like Yeah. And you and, and the objection is always yeah but you have to use the bible to get to jesus yeah but i don't use the bible as the word of god to get to jesus i can just pick it up and read about the historical person of jesus and ask is this a represent is this does this give any indication of it being a representation of how this guy actually lived and talked mm-hmm. that's not a word of god conversation that's not in, inerrancy infallibility or um any of those big words that's just was there a real person who acted like this because i right. found it so compelling that I thought, okay, well, how does this guy see the world? Mm-hmm. And you can't ask and answer that question and, and t- without going straight into the Hebrew Bible. And then you're in the wilderness, baby. But now you're in it with Jesus at your side. You're not in right. it just alone thinking, do I buy this or not? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's what I got. It's good. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I got to say Lord. about that. Yet. Good Lord. I hope, I hope this is helpful.
1: Brothers and sisters. It's helpful for me. So, it's helpful for me. Yeah. If we can use that as a barometer, I think it's helpful.
0: What's Gambus always saying? His podcast, he's doing it for for him. <laughs> yeah. A little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not doing it. We're not doing it just for us, but we benefit greatly. Yeah. Um, but keep, man, keep firing questions. We've got, we've, we're sitting on a couple of doozies. Um, that are really really good about all this stuff, and so we'll we'll get to them at some point, but I'm trying to just get through like a bunch of material and yeah if it's helpful, please tell us if it's not helpful, please tell us um, what do these do these episodes it, it, and if they are helpful what what do they help you do? Yeah, I like that what do they help you do um I'd love to hear that. And, yeah. and only because, you know, uh, unless you talk to us, we, we really don't, we just don't know. And yeah. we make some assumptions about our audience, um, that, you know, we just find wonderful exceptions to all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, we make assumptions based on a very small sample. Yeah. And so it would be interesting, you know, we have the, it's always in the show notes, but you can email hello at podcast dot com and vox, i think that's a like, vox
0: podcast is that still is that similar yeah
1: one? our emails haven't changed but oh that's um, good. I, I think that's a really great i would love to hear all that stuff too i think that's really interesting and i think that's in a weird way that's a a way of doing the doing this in community yeah the best that we can via what a podcast is totally right like yep so yep. I, yeah i think
0: that'd be fascinating Well, you've heard it here first, folks. Tim Stafford, fascinating. Fascinating. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Amen and amen. Until next time, friends, thank you for tuning in. Thank you,
1: thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us